Well, one author tells this story of a young man named Chuck Fry. Chuck was 17. He was academically gifted, graduated near the top of his class in high school, went off to college. And nearing the end of college, he felt that, that he would go to medical school. And he was accepted into medical school at the University of Arizona School of Medicine, began his formal training in September. And during that first term, Chuck was struggling with, with what his future w- would be. He, he was wrestling with the call of God in his life, and he came to the place to believe that God was calling him to the foreign mission field, much like Dr. Coleman and Anna. And, and as he made this commitment, he decided that he wouldn't pursue high-tech t- high medicine and some lucrative setting, but instead he would set his heart on the nation's. And so he was training for medical school toward this end. But near the end of that first year of medical school, he began to, to feel uh, an ongoing and persistent fatigue and tiredness. Made an appointment with, with doctors and he was soon diagnosed with acute leukemia. And he was dead by November. How could Chuck's heart-sick parents then? And how can we now, as we hear a story like this, make sense of this incomprehensible act of God? I mean, this young man loved Jesus. His passion was for the Lord Jesus. His godly family had agonized in prayer for his healing. So had faithful friends. And what was God's answer? God's answer was no. But why? Well, this story draws our attention to the problem of suffering and and evil. This morning, we're not going to delve into all of the philosophical questions related to the problem of suffering. We, We would never have time for that. But we are going to take a look at James 5, and we're going to... to to see some ways that we can be helped in the midst of our suffering, some ways that that we can find strength through the difficult days and through the the times of hardship. If you don't have a Bible, I'd invite you to take a pew Bible. You can turn to page 1073 and and follow along. Now remember that James is writing to believers who are being persecuted. They were suffering immensely. And James wrote to encourage these Jewish believers in the midst of of this persecution. He wrote to encourage them to live patiently in the Lord. Let's read James 5, beginning in verse 7 together. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. How do believers respond to suffering? Well, this text gives us five keys for facing suffering. First, be patient. Be patient for Christ is coming. 
Verse 7 begins with the word therefore, which means the thoughts in these verses are connected to the, to the verses just before. And if you look in verses 1 through 6, James was writing to Christians who were enduring cruel treatment and unjust treatment by, by those who, who were wealthy but, but wicked. And so here in the face of unjust treatment, in the face of suffering and and hardship, James commands that believers be patient. He repeats this command in verse 8. And then James anchors the command to be patient in a theological reality. And what's that theological reality? That the Lord is going to come again. That the Lord Jesus will return. And so James points his readers to look forward to Christ's return, when things will be set right for all who know Christ. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more misery. For all who know Christ, when he returns, everything is going to be made right. There'll be joy. There'll be life to the full. There'll be peace. Now, James anticipates an objection from his readers. His readers may say something like this, but James... We've waited and we've waited and we've waited, but nothing's changing. And so James gives an example of a farmer. The farmer is dependent upon God for the harvest. Yes, the farmer does his part. The the farmer tills the land. He sows the seed. He, He cultivates the land. But then the farmer waits He waits. He waits for the October and November rains and for the April and the the May rains. These are the two rainy seasons in in Palestine. Crops were usually planted in October and they would be harvested in late spring. And so the farmer does his work, but ultimately he waits on the Lord. As the farmer anticipates the rain and, and ultimately the harvest, so as believers, we anticipate Christ's return. So a farmer waits in faith, trusting that the rain will come. And we too, we wait in faith that Christ will return. We must patiently endure this time between the now, when there's suffering, when there's difficulty, when there's hardship, and the the not yet, when all the suffering for the believer will be over. It'll be overtaken by wonder and by joy. It's a little bit like being a kid at Christmas. Do you remember when you were a little boy or or little girl beginning to anticipate Christmas? Maybe it was 100 degrees outside midsummer, and you're thinking to yourself, I can't wait for Christmas. And you say to your daddy or your mama, how much longer till Christmas? You remember that? You'd be thinking of, well, what you really weren't supposed to think of. You'd be thinking of toys, right? You'd be thinking of all the fun you were going to have when when Christmas Day came. I was a kid. I hated waiting for Christmas. It seemed like it took forever. It would never get here. Now, as an adult, January gets here, and then it's Christmas. You, You understand that as well. One thing is for sure, Christmas always comes Every year, year after year, we see those blinking lights. We see the garland. We see the trees, the mistletoe, the manger scenes, good times with family, great food, delicious desserts. Listen, when Christ returns and he sets things right, it'll be far, far better than Christmas in the eyes of a child. It'll be incredible. It'll be unbelievable, unspeakable. 
If we are to endure the sufferings of this world, of this present time, let us live like a child anticipating Christmas, reminding ourselves of the unspeakable joy that lies ahead. Yes, better than ever kinds of times are ahead for those who are in Christ. Remember, Christ is coming. And because of this, friends, we are patient. We wait. He's coming. One day the harvest will come. Christ will return. But we can't be unrealistic. Heaven is not now. Heaven is not now. If you get confused thinking that that right now is the time when all trouble will end, Oh, you'll get so discouraged. You'll get disillusioned. James doesn't tell us that. He tells us the opposite. Now we live in the time of toil and hard work and waiting like the farmer. And to use the language of the farmer, there are weeds and there are insects and there are diseases and there are times of drought and there are times of flooding. But these days, these hard days will not endure Friend, I can't see the timer, but I assure you the timer is set. And Christ is going to return. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen without any of us realizing it. Christ is going to return and he's going to set things right. And so in Christ, we can endure. Yes, we wait eagerly for his return, for the kingdom of God to be fully realized. So we must be patient in the difficulties of life. James gives us a second essential in the face of suffering. Strengthen your hearts in Christ. Strengthen your hearts in Christ. The word in the Greek that is used for strength and has the idea of setting something up so that it's immovable. It's firmly established. And so James says, fix your heart on Christ. Set your heart on him so that your heart will not shift and will not falter. In other words, you cannot allow the difficulties and the hardship to shift your devotion away from the Lord Jesus. Those things can't move your devotion. Don't let suffering push you away from an immovable trust in Christ. James wrote to Christians whose faith was being tested and tried in in terrible ways. Suffering for these believers wasn't a possibility. Suffering was a reality. In the persecution that arose against Christians in Jerusalem, undoubtedly many of these that he was writing to had lost loved ones, perhaps multiple loved ones. And James's word to these believers is this, fix your heart on Christ and don't let your heart shift away. Now, when bridges are being built, civil engineers and construction crews, they give careful attention to the design and the construction of a bridge. The concrete must be mixed to certain standards. Steel and metal are carefully placed to reinforce the concrete. Test beams are poured all along the way to ensure the integrity of the concrete. Levels of moisture are maintained, again, to ensure that the concrete cures properly. In the end, sand, rock, cement, and metal form a structure that is near immovable. A structure that will support tons and tons of weight a structure that's meant to endure harsh weather conditions, whether it's fiercely moving water, whether it's days of freezing and ice or thousands upon thousands of pounds traveling over that bridge every day. The bridge is meant to last, to be immovable. James wants us to understand 
that we've got to have hearts that are like that, hearts that are immovable, hearts that are firmly fixed in our faith. Since James tells us that we must fix our faith firmly on the Lord Jesus, it's clear that Christians can have wishy-washy hearts. It's clear that as believers, we can have a tendency to, to, to let our faith begin to, to, to ebb and to flow. So I ask you today, is your faith in Christ more like a bridge firmly fixed or is it more like a feather floating here and there in the air? When the harsh realities of life come and come they will, have you fixed your heart on Christ? And teaching his disciples, Jesus said this, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. When you're worn down, when the test results are terrible, when the bottom falls out, when a loved one dies, friends, we shouldn't be surprised. This is the stuff of the world that we live in. It has been ever since Genesis 3, ever since the fall. Jesus himself warned us that trouble would come, that tribulation would happen. And yet he encourages his disciples to take courage in the midst of these difficult days because he has overcome the world. So we strengthen our hearts by fixing our eyes on him. We look to him for strength and for peace. Friend, when you're sure that you can't take another thing, fix your heart on him. When you find out that you've been let go, resolve to look to Christ. When a good friend turns on you and hurts you deeply, look, look to him. When a loved one dies, keep holding on to the Lord Jesus. Yes, you could question God and you could become angry with God in the midst of, of these times. And sometimes we do. We struggle with our emotions, but we cannot stay there. We, we can't stay there. We have to keep going back to the truth of the word we have to keep trusting Christ. We have to keep holding on to him. When the world would laugh and call us blind fools, we keep holding on. Ultimately, we find peace when we draw close to Christ in the midst of our brokenness. So we must fix our hearts firmly on Jesus. James gives us a third essential for enduring suffering. Don't turn against your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't turn against your brothers and sisters in Christ. And verse 9 says, James says, I'm sorry, James says, don't complain against one another. Often we complain that our experience is worse than the experience of others. In the midst of anger and frustration with God, we, we may take that out on, on other people. But James says this is of no help because we need our brothers and sisters in Christ by our side and in the face of difficulty. Next, James warns of God's judgment. While these Christians were being harsh with others, James wants them to remember that they're going to stand before Jesus one day. James says that Jesus stands at the door. What does James mean? That Jesus is present. He's here right now. He's right in the middle of our lives. That should affect the peace that we have, and it should affect how we live. Our conduct ought to reflect this fact that Christ is here, that he's engaged in what's going on, and that one day we'll stand before him when, when judgment comes. Haven't you noticed the tendency to take out your frustrations on your own family? Maybe work's been terrible or, or bills are adding up and the money's just not there. 
You can't find a job week after week, month after month. And after a while, the pressures of life just seem to build. We have a tendency to blow up on the people who are closest to us. With biting words, with complaining and and griping, we allow our relationships to be broken. But don't allow your frustration and your anger in the midst of, of your pain, in the midst of your heartache, to build internally so that you turn against those closest to you. In the midst of your pain, you need to share your hurts with the Lord Jesus in in prayer. Talk with a trusted Christian friend, a a family member who's who's a solid believer. Talk with a pastor, talk with a Christian counselor. Don't allow these things to build up and to cause you to pull away from people. James says you want to maintain your relationships, not uh, harm them, not wound them or to destroy them. So don't push away from support from fellow believers. Instead, pursue it. We must not turn against others in our pain. In this text, we find a fourth essential for facing suffering. Consider the example of the faithful. Consider the example of the faithful. In verse 10, James urges believers to remember the example of the Old Testament prophets. He says they exemplify patience in the midst of suffering. Now, he probably isn't referring just to the Old Testament prophets, as in verse 11, he references Job. He's probably meaning consider the Old Testament saints in general. Many of these saints demonstrated extreme patience and long-suffering. In fact, much of their suffering was a result of their faithfulness to God. The prophet Micah was imprisoned. Jeremiah was thrown in a dungeon. Isaiah was sawed in two. John the Baptist was beheaded. Did these saints face saws, swords, dungeons, and death because of bad behavior? No. No, they faced these situations because of their deep commitment to the Lord Jesus. They suffered. And yet they remained faithful to him, enduring patiently the trials of life. And James says we can learn from them. Let's go back to the story of Chuck Fry that that I opened with. There's another dimension to this story that, that helps us. Chuck became engaged to be married in March of that first year of, of medical school. His fiance was named Karen, and she also was a committed believer in the Lord Jesus. And she learned of Chuck's terminal illness just weeks after their engagement. But she chose to go through with their wedding plans. They became husband and wife in July, less than four months before his tragic death. Karen then enrolled in medical school at the University of Arizona. And after graduation, she became a medical missionary in Southern Africa. Dr. Fry served there in a church-sponsored hospital. Now consider her example. Examples like this challenge us to keep holding on to the Lord in the midst of our suffering, not to lose heart, not to give up. We keep holding on. In verse 11, Job is given As as an example of long-suffering and patiently enduring trials, remember that Job was a godly man, yet he faced unbelievable misery. He didn't lose one child. Friends, he lost every child, every one of his children. He lost his fortune. He lost his own health. He lost almost everything, suffered in a way that would be nearly unimaginable to us. Job struggled in his relationship with God. 
But one thing Job did is he kept looking to the Lord. To Job, God seemed silent day after day. His misery mounted and his misery, well, it was wrapped in mystery. He couldn't understand. Job wondered why God allowed his agony. The example of Job reminds us that God doesn't often answer the question of why. Why did John the Baptist have to be beheaded? Why did Isaiah have to be sawed in two? These questions remind us of our own questions. We all have why questions. Things that make us wonder about God. Things that make us wonder what he permits into our lives and why he does so. Most of these questions will remain unanswered this side of heaven. From a survey of scripture, we see that God doesn't promise to answer all of our why questions. So we must not focus on what we do not know. Instead, we focus on what we do know. And this is what we know. We serve a God who is good. A God who loved us so much that he sent his own son, his one and only son to suffer, experience extreme agony at the cross that we might be saved. Friends, we don't focus on what we don't know. There are questions we'll never be able to answer this side of heaven. But we must focus on what we do know, that we have a God who loves extravagantly, that we have a God who gave his own boy for our salvation. Friends, we hold on to what we do know in the midst of suffering. That's what James is is saying. We hold on to what we know. And we know that God is at work in the lives of his children. He's at work for our good. Romans 8, 28 reminds us, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now let's get back to Job for a moment. After Job's suffering, God blessed him abundantly. That sometimes happens, but it doesn't always. Not this side of heaven. And James reminds us in his discussion here that Job experienced God's compassion and God's mercy. But notice what James doesn't do. James doesn't try to answer the question of why. He just points to the prophets of old who faced great hardship and who kept holding on to the Lord, who kept trusting him. So James didn't answer all the questions of suffering brothers and sisters, we can't either. We can't either. We must quit trying to answer all of the why questions. We must quit living there. That's a pit. It's a place that Satan wants us to be. It's a place that will destroy us. We must hold our trust in the Lord Jesus. So as God's children, trust in his goodness In the midst of your hurts, meditate on the fact that God is good, that he gave his one and only son, and focus on the the example of the saints who endured. There are great examples in the Bible. There are great examples throughout church history. And honestly, most of us know personal examples of people who have held on to the Lord in the midst of great suffering. And so their faithful example will give strength to us. It'll, It'll help us to keep trusting to keep holding fast in the midst of of the dark days. So Christians live patiently by following the example of the faithful. A fifth essential in facing hardship, don't make 
foolish promises. Don't make foolish promises. Verse 12, James challenges his readers to avoid swearing or making oaths. There's a tendency to make rash promises and and decisions when we're faced with difficult circumstances. Now, James isn't probably isn't making a prohibition against any kind of official or legal oath, but he's making a call to be res, to, to be careful with our speech, to avoid promises and, and swearing. We should be a person who, who tells the truth, not needing to make promises to, to prove our word. So instead of bargaining or, or making promises to God or swearing to God, we need to just be careful with our words. Let your word be true. When you say yes, let it be yes. When you say no, let it be no. And here James again warns against the the judgment and the discipline of God. So we don't make foolish promises in the midst of our difficulty. We're careful with our words in the midst of, of hardship. So if we want to back up and ask big picture, what is James saying in these verses? What is his guidance for believers in the midst of trials? It is this, patiently Endure the sufferings of this life for a better day is ahead. Patiently endure the sufferings of this life for a better day is ahead. Johnny Erickson Tata is an incredible example of this kind of patience and long suffering. Many of you are are aware of her and her ministry. As a 17-year-old girl, she was injured in a diving accident and left a quadriplegic. Since that time, Johnny Erickson Tata has lived her life to the full. She's invested her life in making Christ known. And she's given special outreach to to those who were disabled. Even after facing stage three breast cancer several years ago, and now today battling breast cancer once again, her resolve is to know the Lord Jesus. Her resolve is to glorify the Lord Jesus. And her example is challenging Johnny Erickson Tata is an amazing example of a woman who's living patiently in the midst of suffering and difficulty, who's holding on to Jesus in the face of great pain. May we learn from her example and the example of others like her. James has given us five keys for enduring suffering. First, live patiently in light of Christ's return. Second, strengthen your heart in Christ. Third, don't turn against others. Fourth, consider the example of the faithful. And fifth, don't make foolish promises. So brothers and sisters, will you trust Christ with your why questions? Will you live with patience amidst the difficulties of life? Will you trust that one day Christ is going to return and all things are going to be made right? Will you strengthen your heart? You may have questions for the Lord. You may even have anger toward him for for what's coming to your life. But resolve not to endlessly wallow in these. Resolve to work through them and to stay close to Christ, to set your heart on him, to have an immovable trust and faith in him have a holy resolve to know Jesus even through the pain. And if you're really struggling, then reach out to a mature believer who can, who can walk with you, who can pray with you. Don't walk a dark path alone. That's, that's one of the, the, the counsels that James gives us. Please, if you're struggling, talk with a mature believer. Reach out and, and get some help. If you're not here uh, as a believer, if, if you're 
a person who has not yet come to know Jesus. I want to say something to you. The greatest proof of God's love is the fact that he gave his own son at the cross. He allowed his own son to suffer and to die for sin. Because of what Jesus did, because he made atonement for our sins. In other words, because he made a way for all of the the yucky stuff and all the sin in our lives to to be washed clean. Because of his great sacrifice, you can know a love that's eternal. You can know a love that will never end. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I'm pleading with you. This is what God is calling you to. To call out to Jesus and say to Jesus, I've been doing things my own way. I've been doing what I wanted, God. Forgive me. Forgive me for my sin. I believe in Jesus and I want to turn and follow him. And the Bible says that when you call out to God like that, he reaches down and he picks you up and he never, ever lets you go. And while this life is sometimes tough and this life is sometimes crummy, when you know God, when you have a relationship with Christ, you can be assured that one day everything Everything, get a hold of that word, everything will be good and right. Oh, how glorious it will be if you're not a believer. Today, those promises are not yours. The only way these promises will be yours is if you call out to Jesus for forgiveness of sin and put your faith in him. Let's pray together.